All right, we are in the Gospel of Matthew, so please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We are going to begin in verse 13 this morning, which it says, Then Jesus came. This should be a very dramatic sentence, idea, um, as you roll a film in your head of the circumstance that's going on. When Jesus shows up on the scene, it's always powerful. For us personally, for those of you who have, a, have had that salvation moment, that recognition where you know that you were created, you know that you were loved, you knew that apart from Jesus, that you had no life, that you were dark in sin, that there was a repentance, a change of life, a change of thinking, that you were no longer aimed at these other things and that you have turned to Jesus and you're walking with him by faith. That moment, that's a then Jesus came moment in your life, right? That's the kind of drama that this scene is taking in the Gospel of Matthew. By way of run up and to help you sit in the emotion of this a little bit, Matthew, again, he is providing us a biography, a detailed, uh, not fully detailed, uh, Jesus' life, for sure his ministry and everything that we need to know. But in the very beginning, we're getting this description of his life. And from the foundation in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, we have that Jesus is called the Christ which means Messiah in the Hebrew. The idea is anointed one. This morning's message is titled anointed, so it's very important to where we're going this morning. He's identified as the son of David, and we've already sat in that those Old Testament prophetic implications. He's also called the son of Abraham. We'll be looking at uh, Abraham's life in brief this morning in the text. So you get to Jesus's origins, the definition that he is a legal descendant of, of David and of Abraham and therefore of his adopted father, Joseph, and all that that means. And then we're given this understanding that Jesus is a singular, unique individual in all of human history. We're going to press into the idea of the Trinity this morning, that God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. Each one of those persons of the Trinity is God, but the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. Yet, they, in three persons, are the singular God. You can't remove the Holy Spirit from that definition and still be left with the definition of God. Is everybody's eyes crossed yet? Good, because again, this is, this, is, uh, this is going to be a little thick. But those definitions are playing into who we are declaring Jesus to be, which he is the very creator of the heavens and the earth. And because of our sin, he is the one who took on our flesh to be like us. And that's what Matthew testifies that it's through the power, the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit in Mary's life that she was found with child, with Jesus in her womb. This isn't a physical creation in the sense that, you know, normal procreation. This is a radical, singular event in all of human history where God made himself in the womb of a woman and he was born. And the, given that definition that his name is Jesus and the sole purpose is because he will save 
save his people. He will save us from our sins. And also that prophetic name that he is Emmanuel defined as God with us. Again, all of this is de uh, definition and background that Matthew is providing. So when the, then Jesus came, it's giving all this weight into the importance of who he is. In chapter two, you're really sitting in a contrast between those that are represented by the Magi who come to Jesus and bow down and worship. There's, a, there's an understanding of who he is. There's a hope in who he is. There's a, there's a diligence, there's a worship, there's a gratitude, there's a thanksgiving in, in those hearts that the Magi represent. And that's contrasted with the hearts like Herod where when they encounter Jesus, there's a hatred. There's, I want nothing to do with this man. I don't want this man to have authority in my life. I don't want him to rule and reign over me. I am my own man, I am my own woman. Leave me alone, I'm gonna do what I want to do. That's the contrast between the Magi and Herod that we see in chapter 2. And throughout both of those chapters, we are watching the Almighty God sovereignly work in human history to bring about His plan and His purpose. And then as we began chapter 3 last week, we're introduced to this incredible man, John the Baptist. The, we're, we're told that the last prophet is Malachi in the Old Testament, roughly 400 B.C., from Malachi until John the Baptist, God's prophetic voice in man was silent. So when John shows up at the scene and he's fulfilling prophecies concerning this individual who is gonna be in the wilderness proclaiming repentance, which is a change of thought, a change of mind, a change of life, a transformation, I used to think this way. This is the definition of who I was, and here's all the definitions that have made me up and the philosophies that I have agreed with and pressed into. There's a dissatisfaction with that in humanity and all that you see that goes on in this world. There's, there is a crying out as, who is going to fix this mess? Anybody feel this? That's every, every culture. When we lift up our eyes and we just look, regardless of what time in history somebody lives, when you get up and you just look and you observe, you see darkness and sin and pain everywhere. And there's a cry for a savior. And John there is proclaiming who that savior is. And this whole idea last week of preparation, there's a preparing the way of the Lord in your own heart, in your community, in your home, and wherever you're interacting in life, that there is a making ready as you turn to the Lord and as you're looking for him to transform you, that he is the one that's gonna produce his righteousness and his justice within you in relationship with him. And those are gonna be the words and the actions and the behaviors that proceed out of your life as you continue to follow him. And as he interacts with the religious leaders there, John the Baptist tells these religious leaders to bear, to uh, produce the fruit that's worthy, that's comparable, that's comparable to what true repentance looks like. We pressed into his heavy message to those individuals as a warning that there is coming a harvest in the future when the Almighty God comes. It's called the day of the Lord, predicted in the Old and New Testament. When Jesus comes, when that day comes, there's what's defined as a harvest, where those who are his are going to be gathered to him, and those who are not his are going to be separated from him from all eternity. And that's the weight and the definition of hell. 
So that heaviness and that emotion and all that John is doing there in the wilderness, you have a mass of people before him as John is communicating these words and this heavy warning to everybody that's listening, but especially the religious that are there listening. You can tell that there are gonna be some individuals whose veins are pulsing in their neck. They're red with anger. They want to baptize John and not bring him up out of that water, right? They want to hold him down and kill him because he's standing in, in contrast to their life and the life that they're living, and he's poking on their chest, and they don't like it. There's other people that are listening, and they're whatever. There's others that are listening, and they're curious, and I need some more. I, I got some questions, and I want those questions answered. There's others that are listening that are totally convicted, and they're coming to John, confessing their sins, looking to have this washing, this conversion that they know is necessary, knowing that as they compare themselves into the revelation of who God has made himself to be, they see the lack. Anybody? When I compare myself to God's perfect word and what he calls us and commands us to be in perfection and righteousness and just and purity, I don't see that within me. I only see that in Christ, and I trust in his promises to make me be that kind of man today and for all eternity when I stand in his presence. So in all of this emotion, in this scene of people, as John has just given this very difficult warning, encouragement, exhortation, and he's not, he's not sitting there with stones in his hands wanting to kill people. He's sitting there with the prophetic word of God in his mouth calling people to turn to Jesus. And then the sentence, then Jesus came. And you can sit from the beginning of Genesis and you roll all the way up to this verse. It has all that weight. Here is the anointed one. Here is the Messiah. Here is the God of gods. Here is the Lord of lords. Here is the priest of priests. Here is the prophet of prophets. Here is our savior in the flesh. What's his life all about? What are his words? What does he want to do with us? What does he want to do? What's the relationship that he wants with us? What are his commands? What are his promises? That's all the narrative that we're going to sit in this gospel. So verse 13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee. Remember, Nazareth is in Galilee. It's the southern end of that area, up in these hills to the, the west of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus comes down from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need, I need to be baptized by you. Are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, literally again, and behold, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So back there in verse 13, just there, there's so much definition in here, it's awesome. 
John is declaring to the people that there is coming one after him who is mightier than he is, who is superior to him, that is stronger than John. John's given the testimony to those who are listening. I'm baptizing you with water unto repentance, but the one who is coming after me, he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And this one that John has been proclaiming, he has been called by God, God's been speaking to him in his own special way. God has sent him out into the wilderness with these words that he is announcing and proclaiming and teaching to the people. The people are coming to him. And now John has this witness. Here comes the one that he's been telling everybody about. In the Gospel of, Je- in the Gospel of John chapter one, we have, this, we have this testimony that when Jesus is coming into this scene, when Jesus came, he know there, behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So as, John, as Jesus is, line, I don't know if he's lined up in a queue, John has his own disciples that are helping this process as people want to come to John to be baptized and confess their sins. When Jesus, he sees Jesus coming, behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus enters into the water where John is, and John looks at Jesus and is like, what are you doing? I've got no authority over you. I'm not greater than you. I'm the one who needs to be baptized and cleansed by you. And John is attempting in this argument, in in the conversation that he and Jesus are having, John wants to prevent Jesus from participating in this baptism. Now, do you agree with John? I fully agree with it. John's baptism, definition for us, this is a specific washing where there is an immersion, and the immersion is associated with repenting and confessing sin. So people are responding to this message that they are separate from God, that they need to be converted, and that there's this confession of agreement with what the Word of God says and the message that John is proclaiming. So they're confessing these words as they're, as they're repenting. They're turning away from something. So when John looks at Jesus, And again, I defined before, we're not sure what interaction that John and Jesus had growing up with one another. They're related by distant relatives. Jesus is in his early 30s. John's just like six months older than Jesus is. So our understanding, they knew each other, they had interactions, but when Jesus comes, there's the revelation of the Holy Spirit to John, that there is the Lamb of God. There is the one that I have been preaching and proclaiming. So when Jesus is standing face to face with John, John has this recognition that this isn't a baptism for you. I'm the, I just, I've proclaimed to everybody, I need to be baptized by you. You're gonna baptize me with the Holy Spirit and with the refiner's fire. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. So we were left with the question, what is Jesus doing? Because he tells John, he says, John, permit it, allow it. And it's a command. And it's not harsh, it's just, John, this, this is what I am going to do, and this is what you are going to do for me, because the Father has called us together, all of us, community, to fulfill all righteousness. And that, again, as John is proclaiming the way of the Lord, the way of the Lord is to do righteousness and to do justice, found in Genesis 18 is that initial definition, and we watch it all throughout the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying to John, John, we need to fulfill all righteousness, and the righteous, just behavior that Jesus needs to press into is to be fully identified 
with the people that he has come to save. So when Jesus is going under the water, he is not being baptized in confession of sin. He is not being baptized because he needs to repent, that he needs to have a change and a transformation. As Jesus is going under that water, there is a full surrender to the Father in his relationship as he is now being pushed into public ministry directed by the Father that now is your time, that he is being that he is uh, giving for us that identification, that he is identifying with humanity in all of our fullness. And the main idea ends up coming out that Jesus is going to become and became sin for us. When Jesus goes to the cross and he is pierced on that cross, we are told that the sins of humanity are laid on him. That not just laid on him, but this definition that he became sin for us. He became something that he was not. He is the almighty God who emptied himself of that godhood and became man in all of our weakness, in our flesh, lived a perfect life. And as he's there on the cross, he is becoming sin for us. The, the righteous payment for sin is death. So again, he is dying the death that each and every one of us deserve in our rebellion to God. That's the imagery that he is conveying in his baptism. And in our baptism, as we go underneath the water, there's a recognition that we're dying to self. So our baptism is not the baptism of John. Our baptism is not the singular baptism that Jesus participated in. Our baptism is in the name of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as we go underneath that water, there's an identification with Jesus' death. There's this confession and recognition. He died for me. And there's, there's a love there. There's a mercy there. There's a grace and a compassion and a relationship. And, that, and again, it's water. There's a symbol of the Holy Spirit in that. There's a symbol of cleansing. And that as we come up out of that water, again, this is, this is all imagery to convey. I have now been born again from above by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. His Holy Spirit has come to dwell in me. And we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a minute. But this is the identification that we are conveying to others and confession and testimony to God as we are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus is being baptized, he is giving us an example of fulfilling righteousness. And the righteous command that he is fulfilling is he is the promised anointed Messiah who is to come, who is to be the suffering servant, to die for our sins, to be identified with us in every way, to live a perfect life. That's Jesus's baptism. What do you think of it? It's really, this, these, these are, this is a devotional passage. These are things for you to know and understand and realize just in prayer and conversation with God. There's been, there was a singular moment in history where I had this, then Jesus came. There have been multiple, and it's daily. Jesus comes to me every single day. He keeps me, he redirects me, he reveals himself to me, he changes me. I just yesterday, outside with my father-in-law, man, I was so in my flesh yesterday. It's hot outside, yeah, a little hot, a little sweaty, 
I, I'm out, I get hydrated, I'm looking like a grape, and within 30 minutes you're shriveled up looking like a raisin, right? Because it's all just sweating out of your body. Anybody like it when equipment breaks? I'm, I'm borderline personality that I'm losing my salvation when something breaks. <laughs> because I want to curse it, right? It's broken, and when something's broken, there's just a Listen, these are the moments like when my flesh comes out. And it always takes me some time to just to calm down. And yesterday, it was just, you know what? I am, I'm going to finish up the yard work that I'm doing. This thing is broken. Can't do what I wanted to do today. My plans are interrupted. I'm going to take a shower, and I'm going to go spend the day with my wife. And that's what I did. But it took me some time to calm down, right? And that time to calm down, Jesus is there with me every moment of the way in his righteousness, in his peace, in his patience, in his sovereignty in my life. I really do believe he's communicating something specifically to me about this broken machine, and I'm going to press into that. And was able to, you know, go get refreshed by a shower and go spend the day with my bride. Had a fabulous day yesterday. And that simple moment of repenting, of turning, of pressing into his life and his peace and his stillness. And again, there's there's this, this is when Jesus comes. This is his power in our life every single day. Here he is as the almighty God, coming, being baptized, identifying with us, fulfilling righteousness. And then we have this testimony. When Jesus is baptized and he comes up out of the water, he's got a very unique experience. I don't know about you, when uh, again, my baptism day, but we're gonna, we're gonna press into a little bit. Salvation is a moment that you express faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. At that moment, we are told that the Almighty God, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within. You are now immersed in and baptized into the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? He immerses you into himself, and he immerses himself into you, and there is a unity that comes about through faith. Physical baptism is this, again, it's an outward expression of obedience and a symbol for yourself and for those in your community. I have witnessed hundreds of baptisms over the year. Never have I witnessed the heavens open. Never have I had a visual representation of the Holy Spirit descending and coming upon an individual. Never have I heard the voice of God speak in any one of those baptisms. However, I've had, I've I've participated in baptisms that are pretty, you know, that we define as just plain and rote. And my baptism was nothing special to anybody around. You know, there were no fireworks going on. It was pretty stinking special to me though. And I hope your baptism was special to you because I had, I had a change in my life in that act of obedience to the Lord that I still look back as a memorial in my own soul today. There's been, I can think, of, there's a particular baptism in this room happened about eight years ago that it was one of those days in worship. After worship, I didn't even have to come up and teach the message. We should have just done baptisms right then because this place was so filled with the energy of the Holy Spirit, directly related to one of the individuals that was being baptized that day. Just something unique that the Lord was doing. Here, I bring all that up to say, here, this is, this is singular and unique. Jesus is not like anybody else. He's singular. He's unique. And the definition that plays out for us defines that 
that's anointing, that calling. It defines who he is for us. But here you have him being baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus comes up out of that water, and we are told in some fashion that the heavens are rent, that there's a parting, and we don't, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean that it was a cloudy day, and all of a sudden, the clouds just kind of part, and the sun rays come shining through? You know, that's what our imagination says, but ultimately, here's something spiritual that's going on, and for both Jesus and John, they both see And we're not sure in regards to the crowd that is witnessing this, how many others see. But there's a physical manifestation of the Almighty God, the Holy Spirit, as he descends. And the little word is he comes upon Jesus, this word for alighting, that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. So there is this, there is a divine revelation that Jesus is the fulfillment of who has been predicted in the Old Testament in regards to this anointed one. And this imagery of the Holy Spirit, fascinating, especially when it comes to a dove. You go back to Genesis chapter one, we're told in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth, and again, our idea is the heavens are this, it's this massive expanse that was completely empty that he created, and that he creates this formless, dark earth covered in water. And the imagery that we have is that this earth, it's formless and it's void, but God created it to be filled and to be teeming with life as he is the creator. But we're told that the Holy Spirit is hovering. It's this word for fluttering. It's this, it's a, it's this imagery for a bird brooding over its young is the imagery of the Holy Spirit there in creation, where you have God the Father created the heavens and the earth. We are told very clearly that there is the Holy Spirit of God there at the creation, brooding, hovering over the face of the deep, we're told. And then God says, Jesus is known as the Word of God. Let there be light, and there was light. We see the Trinity in the very beginning. When God creates man in his image, let us let us, he says, create man in our image. There in Genesis 1.26, you see the Trinity there. In, in uh, Genesis, after the flood. So this, this imagery of the Holy Spirit and this imagery of the Holy Spirit fluttering like the bird, this, it's an image of renewal, it's an image of creation. You have that there in Genesis 1. You also have it in Genesis 8, after the flood. God in judgment executes all of humanity except eight people. In this image, as the water is receding and the, the ark lands there on, on the mountain and it's still, and Noah sends out a dove, it has that same imagery that when the dove comes back with, a, with an olive leaf plucked in its mouth, that's this image of peace. It's an image of renewal. It's an image that the earth that is once again covered in water, that life is coming back. So as we watch the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus in this form, in this image as a dove, it's not a literal bird, it's simile. It's, a, it's using the word like that it's conveying to us. Here is a renewal that is occurring in humanity because the one who is being anointed, he is the one who is going to bring about that renewal. So as we talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is, these are, uh, 
This is a language where, you know, you can get in church fights in regards to is the baptism of the Holy Spirit separate and distinct from salvation. I'm in the camp where it's one and the same. Because when you read through the word of God, it's very clear that the Holy Spirit is sent to come upon and within the church on the day of Pentecost and Acts. And the Holy Spirit never leaves any saved individual once the Holy Spirit has been given. When you sit in the testimony of Acts, there are repetitious scenes where Peter is already filled with the Holy Spirit. He is saved. He has been immersed into God's life that it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit in a particular word, in a particular action. And again, that's, a, that's being filled by the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit pouring out of your life into the life of another. We are told that the Holy Spirit gives us very specific gifts. Some of them are gifts that he can give to you for your whole life. Some of them are gifts that he can just give to you for a singular moment and a singular occasion. Those gifts, that filling, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that's not being baptized into the Holy Spirit. The language that we press into is that when you express faith in Jesus Christ, you're his, and he, and he is yours. And all that he is, is dwelling in you. There is an immersion. There is a becoming one with. You are now a clean house. You are now a clean vessel. We were just singing, you're free. There's no chains that bound you anymore. If you're walking around in chains, it's your fault. It's my fault. If you have a relationship with Jesus, all that he has promised to you is yours right now. In his kingdom, in his authority, you have been immersed into him, and he has come upon you, and he has anointed you. Now, are there special moments where the Holy Spirit comes in supernaturally into our lives and speaks and heals and teaches and makes himself known 100% absolutely. My definition for that behavior of the Holy Spirit is not baptism, though. It is a coming upon of the Holy Spirit. It's a filling of the Holy Spirit. It's an outpouring of God in your life in obedience to him in regards to his will and what he wants to do in that moment. And that's exactly what we're witnessing in Jesus's life as he is immersed in this moment. There is, this is a singular event in Christ's life where the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Did Jesus have a relationship with the Holy Spirit before he was baptized? For all eternity, absolutely. Part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. From his conception, absolutely. He was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. In his birth, absolutely. Protecting as he was growing, as he was being educated. God was there with him his whole life as he is living it out in perfect obedience to his Father. So what's going on in this scene? What's special? This is that anointing. This is that immersion. This is Jesus as being commissioned in his life in this moment to be sent forth to fulfill the mission in which he became a man for in the first place. That's the weight of his baptism. And as the Holy Spirit comes upon him, we watch 
his ministry, his teaching, his authority, all the miracles that are being performed, Jesus is not doing independent of the Father's will, and he is not doing them independent of the power of the Holy Spirit. In unity is this relationship, and it's awesome to watch. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, descends like a dove, coming upon him, and then behold, it's something that we're to pay attention to, this voice that comes from heaven, in. Jesus is singular and unique. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hold your place here, a couple of places. One is Psalm 2. We studied Psalm 2 when we were going through David's life in depth. So if you want an in-depth study on that, you can go find the teaching online. Awesome. But Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, so against Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and against his anointed, the Messiah, as we are getting this testimony of who his anointed is in Matthew 3, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces. Let us cast away their cords. I want nothing to do with Yahweh or his anointed. But he who sits in the heavens, God shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. God says, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, the anointed one. This is, and again, this is the testimony in the Old Testament. This is the testimony that the father is speaking from heaven at Jesus's baptism. This is my king. He is, is and will be king in Jerusalem, my holy hill, my place of Zion, he says. Verse 7, I will declare, this is Jesus speaking in the pages of the Old Testament, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, this is not the idea of of being created. This is the idea of declaration. What does it mean to be, for someone to be God's son? Um, there's this idea in humanity that all, any of us that are being created, we're sons and daughters of God, right? It's not the biblical definition to what it means to be a child of God. All humanity is a creature, a creation of God, but to become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ is a legal adoption. Jesus is singularly, singularly, uniquely, always, eternally, history and future, the Son of God. This is my Son. Today, I have begotten you, I have fathered you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. This is all associated with the kingdoms of the world, the individuals who are in rebellion and want nothing to do with God. His king and his authority is coming one day Therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. 
kiss the son. There's an intimacy there. There's a relationship. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. His when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Isaiah 42 is another great declaration of God that's being, as God is speaking to Jesus at his baptism, what he is declaring. Isaiah 42 says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. That's that word for uh, God being well pleased with Jesus. This is my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. This idea that God has put his spirit on his anointed one, one last verse, Isaiah 11:1. 1, we've come to this repetitiously lately. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. What's the spirit of the Lord doing? What's his behavior in Jesus's life? And we're gonna watch this through the gospel of Matthew. What's, what's the spirit of the Lord doing in our life? He is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He is the spirit of counsel and might. He is the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Awesome declaration. Back to Matthew. All of what we just read through, this gives definition and it gives weight and it gives clarity, it gives instruction to what is God declaring as this voice is being spoken over Jesus. And again, is it just Jesus that's hearing? Is John hearing? Who else in the crowd is hearing this voice as, as God is proclaiming that this is my beloved son. In the Gospel of John, chapter 12, Jesus cries out to God. He's meditating on, on the crucifixion, the suffering that's coming. And he asks the Father to glorify himself. And we're told that, that the voice comes from heaven, that God has glorified himself and will glorify himself again. And then the people who heard, some people said that they heard a voice, that an angel spoke to Jesus, and some people are saying that it thundered. So what the testimony of the crowd was in this moment, we don't know. My, I want to believe that all those who were there are hearing this declaration and they had much to talk about afterwards as they are debating and discussing and trying to figure out what the, in the world that they just experienced in this one who is baptized. This is my beloved son, the object of my love. I told you before, no time, but in Genesis 22, when it comes to Abraham's life, Abraham's son, Isaac, God tells Abraham to go and offer his son, his only son, who he loves as a sacrifice. And all that imagery between father and son and Abraham and Isaac, it plays out between the father and son, 
God relationship as the son is going to be sacrificed and was sacrificed for the sins of humanity. This is the son that I love, all of this declaration over him in whom I am well pleased. We're gonna do two quick definitions of Jesus just because it's fun to proof text things sometimes in Philippians. We talk about, again, just the Trinity. We are told in Philippians chapter 2, 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Sit in that statement. Jesus was always eternally in the form of God, sharing and participating in all that God is, because he is God. Didn't consider it something to be, to be grasped at or seized, that he was taking from the Father to be God. He was always God. Didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. What does it say? He, uh, I have way too many notes. What does that say that he... Again, what did he do with himself? He emptied himself. There we go. No, he made himself, there we go, of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And again, this is, this is Old Testament, that every knee is going to bow to God. Again, Jesus is God. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Colossians chapter 1 Verse 15, well, verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. Again, this is not a, a title of time. The firstborn, it's a, it's a title of preeminence. He is the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, talking about the spiritual realm. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in all things he may have, that's in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Do you have a pretty rich definition of Jesus this morning? We've covered a lot of verses and a lot of definition. 
and it's intentional. I wanna make sure that I have one, that I have something that we can point others back to if they're gonna join us later, that hey, here's a real foundational idea and principles that you need to sit in and meditate in as we talk about who Jesus is in our life today. Because we all have and we all need these encounters where Jesus comes. Worship team, come on up. But we all need these encounters every single day and I'm praying for it today that as we continue, I, I know 100% that the Almighty God is in this room. I know confidently and with all assurance that the Spirit of God has been speaking to you as we have been covering His Word this morning and talking about these different texts. I guarantee through your life experience, He's maybe caused you to remember your own baptism or your own teachings that you, as you sit in, sat in different subject matters, whether it's baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, who is it that Jesus is the Son of David? What does it mean that He was been born and that he's beloved and all these definitions about his nature and character. For a lot of this, this is familiar passage. For some of you, they're gonna, it's going to be you, new. It's the first time. It's, it's unique. But as we continue to go through Matthew's gospel, he is going to unveil for us all these different aspects and character of Jesus. I've outlined the, for us, as we travel through chapters four, which uh, we'll press into over the next couple of weeks, but the Sermon on the Mount, very famous instruction and teaching of Jesus. We're gonna be in that section at least through January. We're gonna go very slow, and we're gonna press into the words of the one that has just been defined for us. This is not my definition. This is not the definition of church people over history. This is the definition of the Almighty God in regards to who he is, what his plan is historically, what it is today, what it is in the future. Who we are, when we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about our bro and our homie and you know our cool Jesus lingo and all these kinds of things. We are talking about the very God who created the heavens and the earth. But beyond that, we're talking about the one who loves you. When we sit in this testimony that the almighty God, his voice speaks from heaven, there's my beloved son. And in him, I am well pleased. In a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is his voice over you today. Regardless of how stained you feel, regardless of how broken you feel, regardless of how disobedient you feel, if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit declare over you, there's my child. That's the child that I love. That's the child that I know. That's the child that I have freed. That's the child that I keep. That's the child that I have promised. There's coming a day in the future that that child that I have chosen to be mine through adoption, I'm going to make that child just like me for all eternity. And that child is going to glorify me. And that child today, you today, through faith in Jesus Christ, you are pleasing to your father. He looks at you and he delights in you. And guess what? A person sitting next to you that drives you nuts, God delights in that soul, in that life. And there's a transformation process that needs to occur in each of us. Amen?
And each of us has to sit in the warning. If you're not his, if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, you are not a son, you are not a daughter of God. You're defined biblically as a child of God's wrath. That he has anger towards you, but that wrath was poured out upon Jesus on the cross. And to be removed from that wrath takes a simple confession. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into me. Be my God. Be my Savior. Be my hope. Be my King. Change me. Transform me. Give me your life. Teach me. Love me. I need you. Therein is the delight of God towards you. Outside of that confession, therein is God's curse over your life and over your eternity. And all it takes is a simple turning in and saying, God, help me. I'm convicted. I may not know. You may not know. You may not have clarity. You may not have all the definition that we just ran through this morning, which is a lot. But you know that in this moment, if you were to close your eyes to this life and die, that you don't have that confidence that you would open your eyes staring into the face of your Savior and your King, make sure that you know that before you leave this room this morning. If you have questions, come and talk. If you need to pray, come and pray. We're here. This is the seriousness that we sit in as often as we gather together. We have a lot of fun together as brothers and sisters. There's a lot of passages in the word of God that they're just, they're fun to think through and process through. I really have had a blast with Matthew. But at the same time, when I come up here and teach, I always have this heaviness. And the heaviness is making sure that I don't miss Jesus and that I don't miss communicating Jesus, and that you don't miss hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life concerning God the Son, Jesus, our anointed one. Amen?